during, during Advent and, you know, actually not just Advent, in general, it's really good to just understand what words mean. Words matter, right? Um, I want to uh, say that we want to be a church where words matter, right? So when we sit back and we talk about, well, we, I hope for this, I hope for that, or I love you, or whatever like that, what, what does that mean though? right? We always want to ask that question, okay, but what does that mean? What is the origin of that? Okay, and that's one of the things that we're going to be talking about this morning is uh, we're going to go obviously back into the Christmas story, but we're going to be unpacking some origin type language, okay? Um, So whenever we talk about hope, um, I would hope that you would look at this video and realize that what we're getting ready to talk about and everything, you maybe even start to ask yourself, okay, so if that's what hope means biblically, where do I put my hope? What, what do I hope in? What is real hope? Like you start trying to ask these kinds of questions. And, you know, it's okay to ask those kind of questions. Uh, you don't get answers unless you ask questions, right? So, uh, so you start asking yourself, okay, so where do, where do I get hope? What, what does that mean to have hope, right? Um, see, because if, if we really be honest, right, the only reason why we need hope or even have hope. The only reason it exists is because we live in a world that is broken where hope is required. If God's promises were actually completely fully realized and we were living in the, the, the new that is going to be coming and everything, if we were actually in that era, like, what, why would we need hope at that point, right? We, we'd be living in that So when we say that we have hope, at the same time, the flip of that coin, we're recognizing that we live in a broken place where hope is required. Okay? And I think we can all kind of get there, right? We we, we look around, you know, things don't work like they should. The economy doesn't work like it should. The government doesn't work like it should. Um, Cars don't work like they should, right? Right? Yeah? Okay. So cars don't work like they should. we don't work like we should, right? Our bodies um, are breaking down. Like, I'm sorry to tell you, but every second you're getting, sec- you're getting older and older and older and older, right? Uh, not to put that depression on you this morning, but yeah, that's just how it works, right? And because we live in that brokenness, because we live in the unperfection, hope is required. Hope is needed. Um, I really like how uh, in this particular video, they really focused on, so obviously they I don't know if you noticed at the beginning of the video, there was three, maybe there was even four, but there was at least three different words, but they only talked about two of them. Did you notice that? Okay. Uh, so the one they like to focus on is kava, right? Uh, which I think is probably the one that we relate to the most. Uh, they use that illustration of the cords being stretched and stretched and stretched until snap, right? So you're, you're waiting for that. And when we look around, I mean, it, it, isn't that true, Right? We wait in tension. We wait in anxiety. We're waiting for something to happen, but it's not exactly comfortable. Because that's how we're waiting. And I think it's great that the word hope even points us to this waiting in anxiety. (laughs) Because it's like this natural human tendency to be like, well, I'm hoping, but... I don't really like it. <laughs> it makes me uncomfortable, you know? And that's what we even get with that word, okay? Um, the third word, if you want a little bit of homework, look up lamentation, uh, Lamentations blah, 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 3 
and that's where that one's found. And it's actually an interchangeable within that chapter. Um, he uses the, the same exact word for hope. And then later on, he says it again. And it's actually the word wait. Uh, so it's in there. So if you want to look up the third word, that's where that one is, is in limitations. So anyways, beside the point. Um, so this morning, we're obviously going to be talking about hope, and if we have to be honest, um, even us as Christians this morning can sometimes feel hopeless, uh, even though it's, we, we, we always say we have hope, everything, but sometimes it's kind of hard to recognize that. Um, every time I talk about hope, I, I can't talk about it without mentioning this phrase. I don't even know who originally said it, but I think it's great. Um, if we were to think about hope in this way and how essential it is to life. Um, it says that a person can go up to 40 days without food. They can go about three or four days without water. They can go about eight seconds without air, but only about two seconds without hope. And I think that points us to how essential hope is for us. Uh, you know, we, uh, we don't necessarily need hope because of the chance that we're going to die tonight and we need to know where we're going, everything like that. That's not necessarily hope. We need to think of it more about we need hope because we have to wake up the next morning and live and function, everything. That's why we need hope, to get up every morning and pursue life, Right? That's the essential need of hope. Proverbs 18, 14 tells us that the spirit of a man can endure sickness, but a broken spirit who can bear. Hope is essential to us. Even when it's uncomfortable, right? We think about those, the rubber band, like you're just stretching that rubber, stretching, stretching, stretching. It even starts to change color, right? It's, it's not meant to be stretched like that. It's going to pop. It's going to snap. Because in some ways, you can even make the argument, maybe we weren't supposed to live in this tension of hope. That's why it's uncomfortable, right? We were supposed to live in perfect harmony and perfect creation with God where hope wasn't necessarily required. We were just surrounded by it all the time. Maybe that's why hope's a little uncomfortable and unnatural for us to think about it that way. Uh, hope is just a simple definition. If we want to think about it, hope is the trust that God will fulfill the promises that he has given us. Okay. If we wait on God to fulfill his promises, right? That, that wait, that's hope. That's biblical hope. We're focusing on his promises, not anything we can do, not our stuffs or anything like that, but his promises. Okay. Hope is also found in the entire biblical narrative from Genesis to Revelation. It's found in all of it because God is found in all of it. Taking a step further, hope is found in the entire biblical na narrative because the entire biblical narrative points us to Christ. And this is something that we really need to, almost like a second nature of how to say it, however you want, especially this next year. We're going to be preaching and reading through the entire Bible together as a church. And we need to understand that the Bible is a unified story that leads us to Jesus. And that's why you find hope in every page. Because every page has a promise. Okay? Now, we already have read it this morning uh, because when we wrote... Uh, lit the candle. That's where we're going to be this morning. We're going to be back in Matthew 1. We're actually going to be in the next, very next set of verses that we were last week. If we remember last week, David was up here. Uh, he preached on love, and we kind of got the first little part of the uh, 
uh, Christmas story there. So go ahead and turn back to Matthew 1. Uh, This morning we're going to be reading just verses 20 through 25 is what we're going to be focusing on. Uh, But just real quick, we're going to do a quick flyby. Because last week, like I said, uh, David came up here to talk about love. He started out the biblical story for us, right? And uh, we kind of took a little slow, right? Because we were meant to live in the uncomfortableness of what is actually happening in this story. Because we have a tendency to just kind of say, okay, so yeah, Mary uh, got pregnant by the Holy Spirit. Joseph was going to divorce her. Then he didn't. And da, da, da. Okay, now let's go ahead and have a birth of Christ and move on and, you know, Thank you. Let's have the hour, you know, Christmas kids Christmas pageant and get on with life, right? And we kind of just blow over things, but we need to live in the uncomfortable of what we're reading in this, right? So we're reading this that Mary was impregnated by the Holy Spirit, and we sit there and we just kind of read it, we blow over it, but do we fully realize what it's saying in that? And I pause for a second because I, I do want us to live in that uncomfortableness because I think we have a tendency not only as just culture but human beings in general to, to say things and to believe things that we don't necessarily actually believe, you know? Um, I want to call it like generational belief. In other words, like mom and dad told me this, so therefore I believe it. Uh, but I don't actually, you know, unpack exactly what's being said here. We're talking about the Holy Spirit creating a baby inside of a human being, right? When we say that we believe in the virgin birth, we're saying that we believe in creation, okay? The Holy Spirit, the same spirit that created everything, and we're talking about the same spirit here, creating something from nothing. Like that's, that's a big thing to declare, <laughs> you know? And we don't need to just, you know, fly over this like, oh yeah, virgin birth. We believe in that. That's one of our doctrines. I write it down. I signed a little piece of paper saying I believe, whatever. Like you, you realize what we're talking about. We're talking about God, you know, right? How many times have we made that illustration? His breath, just creating everything from nothing. We're talking about the exact same, exact same spirit that comes here and creates this baby inside of Mary. You believe in the virgin birth. You're believing and the entire creation narrative. Okay? That wasn't really in the notes. It's kind of a sidestep. But we just need to understand the weight of virgin birth and what that means. Okay? Um, So that's just... And also just the awkwardness of it. Because we're reading this from a completed story, right? We know know the whole thing. All right? But let's... (laughs) <laughs> sit back and think about the conversation that Joseph and Mary are having at this point. Because everybody knows what Joseph and everyone else around is actually thinking is happening here. Right? Mary is saying, with oh, the Holy Spirit, and we're like, yeah, sure, whatever you say. Yeah. Everyone's thinking the same thing. This was a very awkward conversation. Everyone know the, the movie The Star, right? Has anyone seen the movie The Star, the little cartoon? Really? Nobody? Thank you for raising your hand. I appreciate Thank you. Thank you for crowd participation. I appreciate that. <laughs> In that, it's, it's really, it's, obviously it's a cartoon, so they make it kind of lighthearted. But all, all the character Joseph can do in that particular moment when Mary says that I'm pregnant by the Holy Spirit, he goes, oh, I got to sit down. That's it. That's, that's the reaction that he gets. It's like, I realize this is a kid's movie, but man, like how true was that? Probably, you know what I mean? He was just like, I got to sit down. This is too much. Because it is, that's a lot, 
right? That's a lot of awkwardness, okay? So we get into that. So now we finally move into where Joseph is visited by an angel, and the angel then tells him, hey, it's okay. It's by the Holy Spirit. Go ahead and marry, 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 um, and, and, and move on. Like, it's okay. Again, let's think of the awkwardness. When's the last time an angel has visited you in a dream and told you to do something that was completely stupid? Don't raise your hand. It's okay. You don't have to. But like, but th- just think about that. Like that stuff just doesn't happen in Western America. Like we just don't talk about that kind of stuff. Okay. But that's what happened. He received a dream and he goes ahead and he marries her. Right. And moves on. And that's where we find ourselves this morning is talking about this encounter with the angel and Joseph. Okay. So let's go ahead and read that. That was a lot of buildup. Okay. Uh, let's go ahead and read Matthew 1 verses 20 through 25. There it is. Perfect. Okay. Let's go ahead and read this. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Again, right? We've got to think about the weight of that, what that actually means, okay? Um, She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. Uh, There was a lot of other names David talked about last week. Sorry, I All I remember is Jesus. I'm sorry. (laughs) Okay. For he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. That's a big deal. All right. Behold, the virgins shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name. What's his name? Emmanuel. Emmanuel, Which means? God with us. When Joseph woke from his sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she gave birth to a son. Matthew loves prophecy. He loves Jewish prophecy. Uh, The entire gospel of Matthew was actually written, focused on Jews, okay, Uh, as opposed to some of the other gospels. That was his focus. Um, In fact, that's one of the reasons why the gospel of Matthew starts with an entire genealogy, okay? Um, Here, quick little side note. This is, I found this interesting. A lot of cultural references this morning. Anyone read um, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy or seen the movie? Anybody? Raise hands. This is, come on, come on, raise hands. Okay. (laughs) Does everyone remember what the answer to the ultimate question is? What is it? Good. What is it? 42. Interesting fact. Interesting fact. Ready? From Abraham to Jesus, 42 generations. Yes. Right? Okay. Um, by the way, I did a little research. The author literally said he was sitting there writing this, looked out the window and said, eh, 42 sounds good, and just wrote it down. No significance at all. Okay. Uh, <laughs> but it was kind of cool. It was kind of neat to find that out. All right. So, Jesus, uh, sorry, Matthew loves prophecy, and we're going to find that all throughout his gospel. And in fact, just in this, this story right here, he does it multiple times. And the reason why is because he's speaking to other Jews, and he knows that other Jews need this evidence, okay, is where we're going to put it. So he always tried to anchor stuff back to prophecy, okay, because to a Jewish person, that's going to make the light bulb kick on. They'll be like, okay, this matters. This means something, all right? So to us, when we read this and we start thinking about Emmanuel, God with us, we have these warm, fuzzy feelings, right? Emmanuel, everyone starts singing the Christmas song in their head, everything like Emmanuel, okay? But like we started out, we are a church, and I don't mean just this church in general, but <clears throat> The church, I would like to be one that cares about words and origins, okay? So when we say Emmanuel, God with us, that entire prophecy, what we're talking about is Isaiah 7. That's where that's from, 
Guess where we're going next? Isaiah, Isaiah 7. Let's go to Isaiah 7. <laughs> All right, we're going to go over there. And while you're turning, I'm going to give a little bit of background because there's a lot happening. This is not a sermon on Isaiah 7. This is, an I7, this is a sermon on hope and how it all connects, okay? In order for us to understand God being with us and how that points to hope, we have to understand why Matthew is choosing this as a prophecy in general, okay? So Isaiah 7 is actually the story of Isaiah going and speaking to the king in Jerusalem. His name is Ahaz, okay? And at this particular point in history, we are in the middle of a civil war, okay? The northern kingdom, uh, which is, uh, everyone remember from Judges, whenever uh, the Benjamites went up and took over that little town and all that, everyone kind of remember that? That's Northern Kingdom, that area. Okay, that's what we're talking about, all right? And at this particular point, they are, have, they are getting an alliance, or already have. I think they already have the alliance with Syria, which is right there. That's their neighbor, okay? And then you have everybody else down below, okay, which includes Jerusalem. You have, and it's actually called Israel and Judea, okay? Everyone, yeah, like that, okay? Israel, Judea, all right? Judea is where Jerusalem is. Isaiah, <clears throat> the prophet, is being sent to the king in Jerusalem to deliver a message about this impending civil war. Because the king, in order to win this war, is thinking about having an alliance with Assyria. Not Syria, but Assyria. Two different places, okay? Ahaz is not a good dude. <laughs> Second Kings chapter 16 actually uses a familiar phrase. He did not do what was right in the eyes of the Lord. Does that sound familiar? Okay, so we, we, we read all of that through Judges, so we, we know what that means. We know what weight that bears when we're talking about he doesn't do right in the eyes of the Lord. We, we, we get that, okay? Well, that same language is being used to describe this king. Are we going to say he's a good king or a bad king? This isn't a trick question. He's a bad king, right? <laughs> he's a very bad king. In fact, the guy um, does a burnt offering with his son which is really cool <laughs> if you think about it. Uh, oof, big, big, oof, bad dude, okay? So all of that leading us up to the good part. Isaiah 7, verses 10 through 14 is what we're going to read real quick. This is, where, this is the origin of the prophecy. When we say Emmanuel, God with us, this is what we're talking about, <laughs> okay? So Isaiah has shown up. He is now talking to King Ahaz, and he's trying to convince him, do not make an alliance with Assyria. That's what's happening. All right, let's read this real quick. Verse 10. Again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz. I like how it starts with again, meaning I've already told you this once. Okay. Ask a sign of the Lord your God. Let it be deep as Sheol or as high as heaven. God is speaking through Isaiah to Ahaz, literally saying, what do I need to do to show you you can trust me? How, how can I convince you? Ask, ask anything. I'll show you. Okay? That, that's what God's trying to tell Ahaz here at this point. Next verse. But Ahaz said, I will not ask, and I will not put the Lord to the test. Oh, nice guy. Okay, we have some false piety here. <laughs> uh, now that we know the history of this king, like if we, if we didn't know the, that's why I told you the history of the king. 
This is why context is important, okay? If you would just go through and read Isaiah 7 and, and catch that, you'd be like, oh, okay, yeah, he's, he's a follower of God. He knows these things, right? That's why you, you need to know things, okay? Ahaz is not a good king. So we have false piety here, him saying this seemingly good word, but what he's actually saying is, if you show me a sign, I have to follow it, and I don't want to. <laughs> That's what he's saying, okay? Because I trust in what I can do. I trust in the alliances I can make. I trust in my soldiers. I don't want to trust in you. That's what Ahaz is saying. And then Isaiah says, Hear then, O house of David, is it too little for you to weary men that you weary God also? Isaiah is saying, look, man, you're annoying me. That's one thing. But now you're annoying God. <laughs> okay, this is modern translation here. You're annoying God. Therefore, verse 14, the Lord himself will give you a sign. In other words, you're getting the sign whether you like it or not. I've told you you can trust me. I've asked, what can I do to convince you? And God's saying, look, I'm going to give you this. I'm going to show you you can trust me. I'm going to show you that you can put your hope in me. That's the context. And this is what he says. We'll give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. The entire foundation of God with us, of the name Emmanuel, started in a prophecy Isaiah gave to a really bad king in the middle of a civil war. And it was God's way of saying, even as bad as it is, even when the leader is bad and you're, you're fighting against one another and there's going to be bloodshed, like this is one of the most bloodiest times in Israel's history. And how does he convince him? By saying, I'm with you. That, that's the sign. The hope in all of this darkness, in all of this bloodshed, in all of this, the hope that God gives Israel, the hope that God gives us is that he's with us. Always. Jesus' last words, I am with you. Always. That's our hope. Not a distant God, not someone that's up there just kind of playing chess with pieces. No, he is with us, okay? There is something to be said about a God that doesn't just have this, you know, I'm up here lording over you, but instead I'm here shouldering all of the, of the bad stuff that we're going through, all of the, the hurt, all of the... For some of you in this room, including myself, this has not been the best holiday season. Right? You're missing parents. You're missing children. Things are broken. Things are not working like you want them to. And people are gone. And instead of God coming in and just fixing it like our personal little genie. No, instead he says, I am with you. 
I'm with you to help you shoulder this emotional burden. I feel the pain with you. Because finding hope in hopelessness is a lot harder (laughs) when you're alone. But if you know that you have a Lord, as we learned last week, that loves you and is always with you, finding hope in hopelessness, I don't want to say it's easy, but it's easier. Because then you're asking yourself, where is my hope? Is my hope in lost loved ones? In the lack of a house? The lack of stuffs? Or is my hope in an ever-present Lord that is bearing this necessarily even for me, but alongside me. See, we don't serve a God that decided, you know, I'm just going to wipe the planet from sin. I'm going to remove all the bad stuff. Because if he were to do that, guess what? We'd all be gone. In order to remove all of the bad stuff, he had to kill us all. Because unfortunately, we're the source of most of that. Instead, he comes along with us. Matthew uses prophecy multiple times in this section. And... uh, Matthew 2, 6, he says, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Which actually is a connection to Micah 5, 2. Matthew 2, 28, a voice was heard, weeping and loud limitation, Rachel weeping for her children. It's actually a connection to Jeremiah 31, 15. Matthew is anchoring us and all of this prophecy to show us that God was there in the beginning, God is there right now, and God is there in the future. We serve a ever-present Lord. He was and is and forever will be a Savior that rescues and restores when he could have destroyed. A savior that stepped down from glory to become like us. To take on our burdens, to take on our sin, to die on a cross so that we may be saved. And from the blood that he shed on a cross, right? we, we know the end of this story. We're sitting here reading the beginning of it during Advent, but we know the end. We know the end of the story, that he not only dies to save us from our sin, but that he comes back again to make everything new. He promises us that he's with us always. 
and the past, right now, and the future to come. And that's why we have hope. Because we trust in the promises that he gives us in the word. And that's what Matthew is trying to anchor us to. That he is ever present through all of it. And that's hope. That's the hope we get. There's another kind of false idea that comes. And that's, I mentioned before, like this generational belief, right? I only believe because my parents believe, because my grandmother believed, because, 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 right? And you, you realize kind of watering down what you believe, right? You just believe it because you can. But it's also this other kind of false belief that once Jesus comes into your heart, once you accept him, then everything's fine. The world instantly becomes this better place. You never struggle you never sin, you, ne- you never have hard times. But as we learned from the video this morning, we live in a time where waiting, where hope is a tension. It is an anxiety. It is hard. And we actually see that in the biblical narrative of Jesus' birth. In fact, again, this is like a part that you never see in the Christmas pageant. Right? Jesus is born, right? Oh, holy night. Oh, silent night. And that's the last good night they have for like 12 years. In the first like just two or three years of Jesus' life, there's some really bad stuff that happened with Herod killing babies and, and, and Mary and Joseph having to carry the burden that like Jesus just gets born and then they get this uh, warning that they need to leave because soldiers are coming to kill the baby that was just born. Just really bad stuff that happened in the entire rest of the Christmas story. So actually what we see is Jesus comes into the world and things actually get worse. So we have to realize hope is not in a situation. Hope is in a promise. And Jesus did not promise that whenever I come into the world, whenever I come into you, that everything's going to be fine. He promises you that one day it will be. But it's not necessarily today. So I ask you, where do you put your hope? Do you put your hope, like I said, in in spouses that aren't here anymore, in moms that might not be here next year? Is that what you put your hope into? Or do you put it a hope in an ever-existing God that promises one day everything will be made right. Even if that's not today. Because that's what we're meant to believe. We're meant to put hope in the already, but not yet. And I love the way that the Bible Project illustrates this idea of hope as a door, right? Because hope is a choice. A door is only a barrier if you choose not to open it. Hope is a choice. I want to go ahead and ask the worship team to come on up. And there's a lot of notes that honestly I, I kind of skipped. I end up kind of going a different direction, to be honest. But... Um, This morning, I want us to just take some time.
actually. And <laughs> like I said, I wasn't going to do this. But I think it's important for us to realize what we put trust into. And, and please don't sit there and just think for a second, you know what? I've heard this so many times. Like, okay, I get it. What am I supposed to put trust? I realize that. But seriously, like what makes you feel safe? What makes you feel secure? Make a mental list right now. Make a mental list. Five things. Pick five things that you feel makes you feel safe and secure. I mentioned it several times in the sermon this morning. And uh, so I'll go first. I know a couple things, um, which is really odd to think about with me. Um, But one thing that makes me feel safe and secure is a a stable home, (laughs) Uh, which is kind of funny to think about. Uh, But it it makes me it makes me feel safe. a, some, some kind of foundation, something that I can always count on. Um, it, it gives me certainty. And uh, certainty is really important to me. Um, and Lord's obviously been working on that <laughs> with me. Uh, so I know that's one thing I would definitely put on my list that makes me feel safe, that makes me feel secure. And before the band starts playing, I, I, we are going to just sit in some silence. I want you to just kind of make this list in your head. And then I'm going to read something. And uh, we're going to unpack that a little bit, okay? So we're going to have some uncomfortable time right now. Proverbs 3, verses 5 through 7. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord. And turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. This particular proverb is really interesting in this context. Uh, number one, in all your ways, acknowledge him. And another way to think about that is to know him. Know that he's there. Trust that he's there. Trust in his promises. All right? That's what it's saying. In all your ways, trust in him and know that he's with you and he will make straight your paths. I think it's so easy how sometimes we construct things that make us feel safe in a way to you know, make us feel nice and secure and everything. And then this proverb actually tells us the exact opposite. It will be a healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones to actually not trust in yourself, to not make yourself feel safe, but instead know that God will make you safe, right? Know that God will. Know that he is with you. So think about that list that you just made in your head of all the things that make you feel safe, that make you feel secure. And then put it in this context. I'm not trying to say, it's like, your list is wrong, right? I'm not trying to put that on you or anything. But I do want us to acknowledge how we have our own constructs of safety. Ahaz had his own constructs of safety. And God said, I am with you. Emmanuel, I am with you.
go ahead and stand and worship together. Response time is for you to do whatever you feel the Lord has led you to do in this. Maybe you need to come up here and pray. Maybe you need to go across the room and pray with someone else. Maybe you just need to sit there and acknowledge that there are things that I thought I believed because I said it, but maybe I don't. Maybe I struggle with that. We'd love to pray with you. We make ourselves feel safe. And God's telling us, I'm with you. I will do that. Don't trust in yourself. I'll be your refreshment. When Adam mentioned the... uh... The kavah cord, the kav cords being pulled really tight. Bear looked at me and he said, "Air, pull the cord really tight. And so we pretended to pull the cord tight because you do things to keep your kids engaged during church, right? And I was thinking about how all of us have a kavah cord, right? A hope cord that's being pulled really, really tight right now. And maybe that is Thanksgiving went really great. And so Christmas is go, going to go really great. Or maybe you're on this side, it's like, eh, it's going to go really terrible. Christmas is go terrible. And maybe it's like, man, I, I need to make the cookies perfect or I'm going to burn the cookies. Or maybe it's, I woke up and I was 229 pounds this morning and I'm supposed to be 215, right? Maybe that's too personal, right? But your, your kavak cord is pulled really tight, right? Grandma was here last year and she's not here this year, right? There's this tension. It's pulled so tight. It's your hope cord. It's pulled really, really tight. And we're so quick to just put things on that cord thinking that we can hold it. In fact, I just... Before we close service, close your eyes again. Close your eyes right now. Answer the question in your mind. What what does the Holy Spirit lay in your mind right now? What is it? What is it? If I had this, things would be better. This would be a Merry Christmas. If this situation was right, if only I, if this could be, what is it that comes to mind? Man, your hope cord is pulled so tight. And whatever thing you're putting on it, if it is not Jesus Christ, that cord is going to snap and you're going to experience it because there's always something else that can go wrong. There's always something else that could be better. Everything else makes it a Merry Christmas. Everything else makes it a Happy Holidays. Everything else makes it worse. We look to Jesus. And so when we say that we put our hope in God and we put our hope in Jesus, as you close your eyes right now, I want you just to hear these words in Scripture. Jesus says, all authority has been given to me. Whatever's tightening your hope cord right now, hear that all authority, Jesus has authority over it. And Jesus says, I am with you always. And at the end of the story, Revelation 21, Jesus says, behold, I am making all things new. Let's stand as we close in prayer together. Father, as we struggle to hope as we put our hope in things that snap, that can't hold, as we put our love in things that that can't hold, as we look to love and hope in things that don't make sense. God, I pray by the power of your spirit that you would give us your, your knowledge, that you would have us repent and look to you, that you would change our minds, you would change our hearts. God, we know that your words are spirit and truth. God, that your words are bringing us life. And we pray that we would hold tight to your words that you tell us that you have all authority. 
that you're with us always, that you're making all things new. Lord, may we release our standards of what makes this a happy holidays, a Merry Christmas, a good, good time, and I pray that we would just look to you. May we hope in you, Emmanuel, God with us. Thank you, Father, for being with us. Thank you for having all authority. Thank you for being with us always. Thank you for making all things new. And I ask, God, that you would give us your grace to see those things, that we would be able to continue to see these, these prophetic hints, these, these drops in our life of ways that you've already made things new, of ways that you're already showing us that you're with us. May our eyes see through your spirit the way in which your world is being established through King Jesus. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. God, we give this holiday time to you. Teach us to find love in you, to find hope in you. You are making all things new. Show us how to be doing that as one body, to remind each other, to embrace each other as one body, finding hope solely in you, finding love solely in you. In Jesus' name, amen. Hope in the Lord.